Well, hey, everybody. Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beats. Tonight's Ingles on the Beat segment, and uh, welcome to the show. Uh, excited to be back live on a Monday night. Just me, no guest tonight. We have plenty of things to talk about, probably more than we wish we had to talk about. There's been some news on the Georgia front. We knew there would be, uh, but not Friday. Not Friday. Kirby wasn't ready to talk about all the transactions going on. We were on Kirby time. Kirby will talk about it when Kirby's ready to talk about it, uh, as far as what happened with Scott Cochran and then, uh, which we, which he knew Friday, cause actually Will Muschamp, uh, has been working with special teams since last week. So, uh, the Georgia team already moving forward and it was shocking. It was disappointing. It's concerning. Uh, anytime a person has to take time away from work, um, you know, in order to focus on their mental health, as Kirby Smart said, you worry about this, Coach. And we're, we're going to talk more about Scott Cochran and what that means that he's currently not coaching special teams and that Will Muschamp is in his place. We're going to talk more about that later. But I got to start out with the latest ridiculousness from ESPN. This is, this is really preposterous. That's, you know, I don't want to use the word stupid or ignorant. Because Adam Rittenberg is is a is a guy that I, I respect and I like his stuff. He covers the Big Ten primarily, uh, but to say that Georgia is the biggest underachiever is really that uh, is just a really bad take. And and I'll tell you why. Listen, we all know that Georgia hasn't won the national title since 1980, but that's not the only grounds for success in college football. Winning conference championships does matter. It's, it's not an all or nothing sport. If it was, you know, we, we'd be holding teams like Yale and Vanderbilt up high because of what they did 100 years ago. It, it's really more about the consistent success. I'm, I'm going to give you an example. Texas has the biggest budget in the nation at $223 million. And they've had one 10-win season in the last 11 years. One in 11 years playing in the Big 12. And if you were to look at Texas record against Big 12 teams over the last 11 years, it's sixth. Texas is sixth in the Big 12 in 11 years. Now, folks, that is underachieving. How about Michigan? How about Michigan? They have not played in the Big 10 championship game in the 10-year history of that game. You would think that just by accident, and again, Michigan, a program, that's in the top, I believe, four in budgets, right? Texas, A&M, Ohio State, Michigan. I just, you know, now Georgia with four straight top 10 finishes, you know, come on, trying to say that's underachieving, that's kind of ridiculous. 
and it's it's disappointing. Uh, it's it's spin, it's slant. I don't understand it. I guess they're trying to create the win now narrative for Georgia, but it's on false pretenses. Look, this program is succeeding in a big way. It's a national championship contender year in and year out. Georgia's in the hunt. And to me, that's the definition of success, right? You want that perennial playoff team. You want that perennial team that in any year could win a national title. Michigan and Texas aren't even sniffing it. So to me, those are two programs. I would put Texas as the biggest underachiever right now. I, I'm not looking at the last 40 years. That's stupid because college football has changed so much in the last 40 years. You know, if you want to look at the BCS era, you know, to me, you could look at 98 or, or and maybe hit the reset at 2014 because now we're in the college football era. You know, now if you want to say that Georgia should have made the college football playoff more than once, I'd agree with you. But I would also point to the college football playoff selection committee uh, as playing a role in that because it's not absolute. And as Kirby said, uh, when Georgia missed it narrowly in 2018, they're, they're going to change the rules every year. They're going to change what matters every year, and you're not going to know what it is. And that, that horse has been beat a lot, uh, but only because it needs to be, only until it changes. Because anytime you put human beings in there, they're going to do what's in their own best interest. So the fact that, that someone wrote that from ESPN, I, I thought was ridiculous. I wouldn't have even written it because it was that ridiculous and that stupid. Founded on you know what happened between 1980 and 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 2000 that's a whole nother area of football you know to me it's what have you done for me lately i'd look in a 10-year window uh max because i think college football has changed that much um you know rules changes certainly now with nil college football playoff versus bcs um yeah i don't i don't get that and and i feel bad that georgia fans had to read that that dribble you know that they're being brainwashed into you know, oh, you shouldn't feel good about your – it's what a bunch of garbage. You know, maybe people should look into their own backyards and look in the Big Ten where Michigan hasn't done anything despite paying Jim Harbaugh, what, seven, $8 million a year? How long has he been there? Seven years? He still hasn't won his own division? That's pathetic. Michigan's got resources. That's a global institution. Um, they've had facilities. You know, Georgia's been playing catch-up with facilities. It's only – they're just now – getting their football building, right? Kirby's only going into year six and all he's done is deliver. So I thought that was ridiculous. That was something that, that I just kind of shook my head about. Uh, let's talk about Warren Erickson. I got the news last night about six o'clock. Uh, someone mentioned that, that Warren had hurt his hand. Uh, the more people I talked to, the more it emerged. It was a, a hand injury. Um, I didn't have confirmation that it was a break. I still don't think that that's out there confirmed that he broke something in his hand. Uh, we're hearing now that it's it's two weeks that he's going to be out. You know, and before we get to what happened, my question: How does that happen? You know, if, if I'm 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 trying to make sure my quarterback stays healthy, and I'm trying to make sure my center stays healthy, because listen, JT Daniels has been down this road with really bad center play before. That's what happened at USC. They had a guy playing center that had never played before. And he was awful. And, and that really screwed up JT Daniels' true freshman year at USC, along with some bad line play, along with some incongruent play calling as they changed play callers. Uh, 
he doesn't need to go through that again. Georgia fans don't want to remember the Arkansas game and how poorly Trey Hill played in that game at the start of that game. Everybody will remember Dwan came out, Dwan Mathis came out, but they forget about the bad snaps from Trey Hill and they forget about Jermaine Burton running the wrong way on a route leading to a pick. You know, there was a lot that went wrong in that opening game at Arkansas. Georgia trailed Arkansas at halftime in the opening game last year. Think about that. For all the preparation, for all the, you know, hard work, uh, they trailed Arkansas at halftime, all right? That's not going to happen this year. That's not going to happen. This team is so much further ahead, so much better prepared. But the center situation, um, I, I don't think it's going to shake up the whole line. I do think that, you know, Cedric Van Pran moves in next. And to me, that's just next man up. Everything else, though, you know, I'd heard Jamari Salyer got some snaps there, and he does snap there occasionally, but I don't expect him to move from left tackle or guard. Now, if Jamari were to move, that would shake up the whole line, but that's not what we're thinking is going to happen. What we're thinking is going to happen is that Cedric Van Pran will be next man up. Uh, the battle at guard will continue. You know, do they use Xavier Truss at left tackle and move Salyer inside, which pushes Ratliff out of the lineup, or do they use Jamari? at left tackle and go with Ratledge and Schaefer at guard. You know, we're not really sure. Warren McClendon seems to be set at right guard. Uh, Justin Schaefer seems, or excuse me, Warren McClendon seems to be set at right tackle. Justin Schaefer seems to be set inside at guard. Um, but to me, the McClendon injury, if he's not able to go, and nobody has said that, nobody has said that. Remember, Kirby hasn't even commented on this, and he won't. Kirby's not available to the media again until next Saturday. So tomorrow we'll talk with Dan Lanning, and then I think we get Munkin later in the week. But then Kirby will talk Saturday, and by then the whole you know Warren Erickson thing will be old news, and, and he'll tell you, oh, that's old news, guys. You know we, we expect him back this week or something to that effect. It, it won't really uh, be a big news story, I don't think. I think right now it looks like Cedric Van Pran is next man up. I don't, I don't think – uh, based on how Van Pran performed in the spring. I, I don't think this is a game changer for Clemson, uh, even if Van Pran goes instead of Erickson. JT calls a lot of stuff at the line. You know, yes, the center identifies the Mike linebacker and everybody works off that, but uh, JT flies the jet from the line, and, and I think this is a Georgia team uh, that will be very prepared. I really do. Uh, I'm not really sure about the running back position, I did want to talk about that. Kirby sent out James Cook last week to talk to the media, and we try to read between the lines when Kirby sends this guy. Like, why is he sending this guy? I think James Cook is going to be a big factor in that opening game against Clemson because if there's one thing that you absolutely have to do if you're George in that football game, it's emerge with JT Daniels upright and healthy. You have to keep him healthy. You have to keep Clemson off of your quarterback. They tied for the nation's lead with Pitt last year for the most number of sacks. I believe that 45. So this is a team that's going to get after you, one, by their nature. But two, the game plan against JT Daniels is to bring pressure. Because if you sit back, JT can pick you apart. He has the accuracy and he has the acumen to know where the receivers are going to get open and when they're going to get open. So the plan, if you looked at last year when teams played JT, they brought heat. I don't think that's going to change. 
So Georgia has to have an answer. And the answer is to get rid of the ball quickly or to run the ball effectively. Now, we're not really sure how effective Georgia is going to be able to run the ball against this Clemson front. It's one of the best in college football. And the offensive line, as we've talked about, is still not really settled. It certainly isn't the great wall, but I think they're a good line, but they couldn't dictate the run against Florida last year. They couldn't dictate the run against Cincinnati. I don't think they're going to just line up and go downhill at Clemson. I think they're going to have to throw to set up the run. And you got to do that by keeping, and you got to keep your quarterback clean. So that means a lot of dump offs, a lot of quick passes. I think the game is going to look a lot like the G day game did. Remember all those dump off passes JT had uh, to the backs. And he said, you know, if, if you're going to take him away downfield, he'll do that all day. If he can get James cook in the open field on a two or a three yard swing downfield, and James is isolated with a linebacker or safety in the open field, George will do that all, all day. They'll make a living off of it. And then they'll pick their spots uh, when to go deep, when down in distance gives them that opportunity. Now, I do think ultimately George does want to be balanced and run the ball. That's the best way to handle any defense. That's the best way to keep any defense on their heels. You want to keep them, um, you know, you want to be unpredictable. You want to stay ahead of the change so it's, you know, second and four, third and one, uh, you know, situations where, you know, well, third and one's a rundown, but I mean, you want to be in second and four uh, because that's a, a situation where you can throw it or run it. So you want to stay ahead of the change so you can be unpredictable, ideally get some run game going and then work to play action. Again, I think it's going to be really hard for Georgia to run the ball on Clemson though early on. And that's why I think they're going to have to throw it early. And that's why I think James Cook got sent out early. I think he's probably the main guy going into that game. I think from game to game, you know, we'll see some different backs. I know Kendall Milton is having a great camp. Uh, he's a guy that I wrote about. I did a, um, a stock report earlier today. I hope you got a chance to read it. Uh, stock up uh, and stock watch. Warren, you know, Warren Erickson stock watch with the, with the injury. But um, Kendall Milton, a guy that is off to a great start in fall camp. And, and Darnell Washington. And Darnell is a, he's a game changer. There's no other way to say it, you know, 6'7", 275. And the great news for Georgia fans is that Darnell is in shape. You know, last year when he came in, I believe he had a, I want to say he had an arthroscopic cleanup, but when he came into camp, he wasn't in great shape. And one of the stories last year was Kirby really pushing and working Darnell to get into shape. Now, he was a freshman, but he was a capable guy, and they needed him. Remember, Trey McKitty uh, suffered that knee injury in fall drills, they needed Darnell. And, and it was a struggle. It really was. It was tough. And, and that happens with freshmen, right? Usually there is a, a transition period. Think about how much harder it was even because of COVID. Made it doubly tough for the Georgia freshmen to have the sort of impact that I think they would have had otherwise. And Darnell was a guy that suffered. He's not suffering now. Now he looks like a game changer. And uh, it always kind of interests me. I can always tell how some how closely someone is following Georgia football by the questions they ask me when I do the radio shows around the country. You know, Eric Gilbert. No, no. Let's talk about Darnell Washington. Now, Eric Gilbert is a guy that will emerge. Eric Gilbert is a guy who will get his targets and will be a player. But he's a guy that right now is learning the offense and can't stress enough. I think people think this is a video game and 
freshmen come in or new players come in and they have a rating and you plug them in and they play. That's not how it works in real life. In real life, you plug them in and they get better from week to week to week as they learn the offense, as the quarterback gets comfortable with them, you know, as they get comfortable with their route concepts and they get the timing. That's how real life works. Eric Gilbert is a guy who will continue to emerge as the season progresses. I don't think we're going to see Eric Gilbert catching 10 balls in the first game or even targeted that much. Again, I think there's going to be a lot of short passes. I think the tight ends will be big in this game. I think the running backs will be big in this game. Uh, I think Kiaris Jackson, uh, if he gets healthy, right? We were a little surprised Friday when Kirby told us that Kiaris Jackson uh, wasn't cleared yet. I thought Kiaris, after missing four or five weeks in the summer, Kirby told us, on account of an uh, arthroscopic knee procedure, I thought he'd be ready to go. It could be that because Kiaris knows the scheme so well and has had so much work with JT, they might be working Arian Smith in there, you know, because Arian is a guy that needs extra work. Uh, clearly uh, the fastest guy on the team, no bones about it, uh, ran a 4-2-1 or a 4-2-3 on their combine day. But he missed spring, much of spring, I should say, because he ran track. So Arian Smith is a guy they're playing catch up on. Uh, he's a weapon. I think they're going to use him in the slot uh, along with Kiaris. Uh, I think Burton plays outside at, at the Y, no, excuse me, at the Z. And I think at the X, uh, that's where you're going to have Eric Gilbert, Marcus Rosemary, Jack Saint, and Adane Mitchell. Um, Adane Mitchell is in the mix at the X. He's a guy that can really stretch the field. None of them are George Pickens, so let's just get that out of the way. But Gilbert's a big target. Uh, Jack Saint is a great route runner, great hands. And Adani Mitchell is a guy that can really fly and stretch the field. So you've got some different sorts of weapons. And I'm not sure if you saw the quote Friday, but I did. And I wrote about it. I wrote a whole story about it, about Kirby Smart saying that the Georgia offense is closing the gap when we compare them to Alabama last year, LSU two years ago. Now, Kirby pointed out correctly that Alabama had – four first-round draft picks at receiver over those two years, right? You remember that. But Ruggs, Waddle, Devontae Smith, and I'm forgetting the last one, two years ago. They've had four guys that were drafted in the first round. LSU had two first-round picks. And Joe Burrow, by the way. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, a first-round back. Uh, Alabama also had a first-round back. Kirby said, I don't know if we have – Four first-rounders in our receiving core, but he thinks they're good. I would agree. There's not four first-rounders in the receiving core. I've, I've said that over and over. It's not the Alabama receiving core. It's not the LSU receiving core, but it's still pretty doggone good. And we've heard JT Daniels talk about that and talk about just how good, uh, just how good it is. Let's see here. I'm looking to see if we've got some comments. Uh, appreciate you guys joining me here tonight. Uh, let's see here. What is this on my screen? Still working on this. Still working to get this thing down here. Um, yeah. So let's dig in now about the Scott Cochran situation. You know, when Kirby hired Scott Cochran from Alabama, there were a lot of people, including myself, that thought it was a great hire. And, and in hindsight, it probably was at that time. Uh, Scott Cochran is a guy that brings a lot of energy. He's a guy that had never had an opportunity to be an on-field coach. 
and Kirby Smart wanted to give Scott that opportunity, and he did. Um, you know, but but life happens, and you know, I feel like, and again, I don't know the situation, the circumstances, and and I don't really want to you know speculate because I just I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that it's been a tough year with COVID. That's the one thing I'll say universally for all of us is I would say that the that, that things have not been normal. These have not been normal circumstances, period. I think in general, and again, not speaking on Scott Cochran, but in general, I think that we see a lot of people that have had mental health challenges. We saw JT Daniel talk about that, being isolated, being 2,000 miles away from home, not having success, not being able to play. And JT was smart enough to reach out and, and, and talk to the team psychologist. And, and it helped him. And it got him prepared so that when he had his opportunity against Mississippi State, he was ready. And, and I think this is a, a culture phenomena that, that's challenging a lot of people. So, again, I, I don't want to speculate because I don't know the details on why Cochran is is gone other than what Kirby told us to work on his mental health. Um, but as I look at the world from 10,000 feet, I say it's been one heck of a year, and I think everybody wishes the best for Coach Cochran. Now, Georgia is an incredible position to, to handle this. The momentum will not stop. That's no disrespect to Scott Cochran, but it is respect to Kirby Smart and the way he's built this program. This program is built to sustain. And I said it this morning. Football, by its very nature, is a sport of resiliency. Uh, you know, as somebody that played it myself and, and loved being a running back, you get knocked down, you, you get back up and run to the huddle, right? That was the fun of it. Every time you touched the ball, you knew there was a pretty good chance you're going to get knocked down. That's part of it. You're testing yourself against the resiliency. Many of you played the game, played other positions, uh, you know, there's going to be contact. You're going to get knocked down. You're definitely not going to win every battle. And part of football is is having the toughness and the gumption to be able to respond and bounce back. And, and that's what this Georgia football team is built to do. Now, that said, you know, you got to remember, Kirby hired uh, the special teams coach from Louisiana in February. Uh, Robbie Drisher, I think his name is. And Robbie was a national special teams coordinator of the year at Oklahoma State in 2014 and at Toledo. So you Kirby's kind of got an ace up his sleeve. So he had this coach on his staff already, uh, you know, who had some great concepts that he was bringing as an analyst role. And he's still there. And, and then you bring, you talk about Will Muschamp. And, you know, Will is a guy, I got to tell you, I, I've heard nothing but great things I hear, I see so many fans and they just, I just shake my head, you know, on Facebook or social media. Like, oh yeah. He yells at people and look, look, you don't know what you're talking about. All right. Don't confuse Will Muschamp's sideline demeanor at South Carolina with the role he plays at Georgia uh, because it's different, right? When you're the head coach, you've got to bring the juice on the sideline. You have to, when you're an assistant, or an analyst, it's a completely different role. And Will knows how to be a great coordinator. Will knows how to be a great assistant coach, right? Because he's been the head coach. So he knows what it takes to be a great employee. And he's been a great employee. Everybody that I talk to tells me that Will is one of the most popular people in the building. 
Coaches love him. Players love him. He's done knockout work uh, working with these DBs off the field, granted. Uh, but you think about what Kirby had on his hands with, what, seven DBs vacating? Would you have five guys go to the NFL, right? Webb, LeCount, Stokes, Campbell, uh, and then DJ Daniels. So you had five guys that are in the NFL out of that secondary. Then you had Tyreek Stevenson transfer away, and you had Major Burns transfer away. You lost seven players out of your secondary if you're Georgia. Now you plugged in Darian Kendrick from Clemson and Tyke Smith from West Virginia, but still you're minus five on the experience scale. Kirby had a massive, massive project on his hands when the draft and, and Stokes and, and some of those guys went early. The fact that, that he's been able to replenish and coach these guys up, uh, that's a tribute to Kirby. It's also a tribute to Coach Adai, uh, and I believe it's a tribute to um, I believe it's a tribute to Will Muschamp. You've got a lot of attention. You got a lot of expertise. Think about all that expertise between Muschamp and Kirby coaching in the secondary. How much knowledge is in that room when you break it down? Then you throw in Adai and, and his ability to communicate with the players and relate and the work that he's done himself. Also a former big-time college football player. You know, you look at Kirby and Will and Adai, you're talking about three big-time college football players back in their day. So I think that's an ideal situation. I can't imagine a secondary that's getting any more coached up than Georgia's secondary has been. And I think that may be why when Kirby talked about the most pressing need, he mentioned replacing Aziz Ajilari. I mean, let's face it, your secondary is only as good as your pressure. Nobody can stay in coverage forever. It's going to be really important that Nolan Smith or Trayvon Walker or Adam Anderson or all of them can bring the heat like Aziz. And I don't think it's a given. Aziz led the SEC in sacks. He was a very, very special talent. I think the NFL is going to find that out. Uh, you know, I think that um, I think this is a good time to take a break. Uh, when I come back, I want to answer your questions. I'm going to talk to you about some of the stories I did on Clemson with offensive lineman uh, Matt Brockert, as well as DJ Uyagalele. Uh, I had to write his name enough times that I feel comfortable pronouncing it. Some of the things that they said, and also what Justin Ross's return to Clemson might mean. Lewisine talked a little bit about the Clemson Tigers on Friday. But right now, let's take a break. Let's recognize our sponsor, Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Focus on heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. I want to thank Ingles again. For bringing the program to you every Monday night, certainly a program that I enjoy. I enjoy talking with you, enjoy sharing what I've learned on the beat uh, throughout the week. Uh, you know, I put some stuff up uh, earlier. The video that the Georgia football uh, team does with the players, what medal, what event would they want to medal in if they were in the Olympics? I thought that was a great video. I hope you had a chance to see that. The guys cutting up, having fun. You get a chance to see a little bit of their personality and certainly every week 
you know, we've been doing uh, K&M Squared, uh, Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh. I, I hope all of you have been able to watch that program. We run it on Sunday nights right here on this channel at 8 o'clock. You can catch it on YouTube or, uh, or our Facebook page as well. And a really, really nice opportunity to see Kendall and Kenny uh, talking football, cutting up, having some fun with one another. This week I thought it was interesting. They talked about the running backs, and they kind of broke down what each other does really well. And you could tell – there was a lot of mutual respect between those guys as they spoke about the skills and the talents that each one of the running back had. I think that's a really healthy situation. Now that said, it's, it's also a very competitive situation. I do think, as I said, that Georgia uh, is going to be able to run the ball some, I do think Georgia will run the ball more effectively than Clemson. And that's why I give Georgia the advantage to win this football game. Talking to Clemson offensive lineman Matt Bockhurst in, at ACC Media Day, and I ran this story a few days ago, kind of a – I think it said Georgia's ferocious defensive front through the eyes of a Clemson offensive lineman. You know, really enjoyed talking with him. Real mature guy, uh, great representative for Clemson. And, and I know fans want this to be ugly, Robert, but there's so much respect between these schools. And all I have felt is class between these schools. You know, this is an exciting game. This isn't – strike me as a, as a dirty, ugly game, strikes me as a lot of mutual. It's really, to me, it's sad they don't play it every year. It, it would be better for these teams to play every year. You guys know how I feel about that. Uh, you know, stepping on Georgia Tech every year like an ant, just, you know, shrugged, right? But you play Clemson every year, boy, that'd be fun. But anyway, I digress. You know, one of the things that Matt talked about was how the Georgia defensive line was different than the Clemson defensive line. Uh, they're both really good, and certainly, as I said earlier in the program, Clemson uh, tied for the nation's lead with 45 sacks with Pitt. Pitt averaged more per game, but still the volume of sacks that Clemson had, very impressive. And Matt said Georgia was just that much bigger. They're just that much bigger. Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter, I mean, those are some grown men in there at defensive tackle. That That is going to be really tough. And especially when you consider this about Clemson. Clemson lost two offensive line starters from a team that ranked 11th in the ACC, 11th in rushing last year with Travis Etienne, first-round running back, 11th. That's amazing to me. I, I was shocked when I looked that number up. If Clemson can't run the ball, it's lights out. Now, DJ Uyagalele is a guy who has some mobility, but he's not a runner, okay? He's not as good a runner as Trevor Lawrence. He's not a guy that's going to make his living running the ball. And if you're Clemson, you really can't afford for him to because Clemson's quarterback depth is really shaky. So I don't think DJ can run. I don't think Clemson can run. And I don't think you can make a living throwing the ball on Georgia, even though – We've talked earlier in the program about how the secondary is reloaded. I just don't think you're going to make a living being one-dimensional on Kirby Smart's offense. The teams, you think about the teams that have had some success. You know, Florida had some success running the football in Georgia. Now, I think that was largely because Jordan Davis was out, and no pun intended. But I, I think that had a lot to do with it. Uh, you think about the way Alabama was able to run the ball. Those were the two teams that really had success, both able to run the football. If Clemson can't run, 
I don't think they can make a living. Now, that's not saying they're not going to score some points. I think they will. I think Clemson will put up some points. But I think Georgia's going to put up more. And, and again, I don't think this game is necessarily going to be particularly close. You know, I look at how Ohio State beat Clemson last year. And is this Clemson team better than that Clemson team with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne? I don't know. You know, Justin Ross is back. Uh, that's great news for for Justin and for college football from a spinal, you know, contusion, you know, spinal issue that he'd had. Uh, this is a guy that hasn't played football in almost two years. I don't see Justin Ross making a huge impact. Now, I may eat my words. I may eat my words, and I hope that he is healthy and has a great year. But in my experience, when a guy's been off that long at that position, it's going to take some time. Now, I'm sure that Dabble's going to bring him along, uh, give him some opportunities to get hit in practice, build his confidence up a little bit. But but it's just not the same. I don't think he's going to be as dynamic as he was prior to them diagnosing that injury that he had, um, which I think was spring of 2020. So, again, this is a guy that's been on the shelf for a minute. So I don't expect he'll have a big – now, Lewis Seen told us, Georgia safety Lewis Seen told us last week that he really likes what DJ Uyagalele can do because DJ does have a cannon arm. DJ is a great quarterback. DJ is probably one of the top ten quarterbacks in the country. Uh, this is a really impressive young man. I was out at his high school last summer, excuse me, last spring. We went out there with the JT Daniels. Uh, when JT went out west, I went out west. I wasn't able to track JT and the guys down, uh, but I was able to talk to all the high school coaches that, you know, both sides. Modern day, I talked to JT's offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach. You saw that. You saw Coach Rollinson's show right here on our Monday night. And, and then I talked to, uh, you know, then I talked to in, Clover, in, in Cloverdale, California, uh, at St. John's Bosco where DJ went, and I talked to that head coach and that defensive coordinator. I talked to that defensive coordinator about playing JT because he played him three times, and he had a book on him, and he visits Georgia. He visited Georgia this summer, and he visits Alabama, and he visits Clemson, and he kind of gave me some insight into how these defenses are similar and 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 how they're different in different ways. Um, but I digress. What the, what the St. John's Bosco coach told me about DJ – is that he's never seen anybody that want, that works so hard to be good. DJ didn't go to the opening because he wanted to practice with his high school team. This is a very unselfish, team-oriented guy. Okay, Legends start with the kind of attitude that DJ Uyagalele has. So you're going up against a guy that's all in, that's beloved and respected by his teammates, 6'5", 250, he is a big guy. Even if you get to him, you got to get him down. Cannon for an arm. But he's 0-2 against JT Daniels. right? JT beat him twice. And you have to wonder if that plays into DJ's psyche a little bit. Going up against DJ, for all the other distractions and all the other things going on, he's going up against the quarterback that he could not beat in high school. Those high school rivalries can be funny like that. I'm not saying that's going to determine the game. I don't think it will. But I absolutely think that that's going to be on DJ's mind. I asked him about that in Charlotte. You can see the response and the story I did. Uh, DJ gave a great interview. I think if you play the video, you'll really enjoy 
watching DJ Uyunglele. I think you'll get a feel for the kind of guy he is. Big Cinco is he's got the he's got the necklace that says Big Cinco. Uh, he's he's a cool kid. And his dad, Big Dave, remember that night we did that story? I remember it. I wrote it from the stairwell under the stairs in my house because I thought there might be a tornado or something through here. Big Dave came through Georgia and was on campus, and there was a picture, and there's there's DJ's dad with his arm around Kirby Smart. And, man, the Clemson fans just lost it. They were so upset that DJ's dad was on campus posing for a picture with Kirby. But DJ's little brother is a defensive end, and he was being recruited, right, by Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia. And, and Dave was here. Uh, Dave, now his dad's name, Big Dave, they call him. Big Dave did say he told the Georgia staff he wanted to apologize in advance for what was going to happen on September uh, the 4th, which was just Big Dave being Big Dave, having some fun. Uh, again, I think this Clemson game is this is so much fun. It's so great. Uh, the only way it would be better if it was a home-and-home and home the team stadiums. You know, I'm, just, I, I'm such a proponent for that, for these college towns. You know, you think about Clemson and Athens and, and how much they rely on those home games for their commerce. I mean, the whole economy – rotates around the schools they need that money they really do it really plays into the infrastructure the school system what they're able to pay the social servants uh you know, just really big uh and, and that's why you know i think eventually georgia when florida play home and home so many of these guys want to play at the swamp you know greg sankey uh the other day and and, and i'll kind of go in this direction now we you know i've talked a little bit about texas oklahoma but i was looking at a greg sankey uh interview First of all, I got a lot of respect for Greg Sankey. I do. I have the utmost respect for Greg Sankey. I mean, I think he's the smartest guy in the room. And I think that Greg Sankey is the eventual, for all intents and purposes, college football commissioner. I, I do. Even if he's running the SEC, he might as well be the commissioner of college football because so many of the things that Greg Sankey and the SEC do trickle down into these other leagues. And I, I think I made it pretty clear before that I was very disappointed um, that, that all this happened so quickly. Uh, there didn't seem to be much of a review process. I dare say backdoor deal. I didn't like it, but it's happened. And now I study it more closely. And I put myself in Greg Sankey's shoes. You're Greg Sankey. You have the best conference in college football. And you want to make sure you continue to have the best conference in college football. Texas and Oklahoma come to you and say they want out of the Big 12, and say they want to join your league. Your first inkling might be, we're doing just fine, thank you. But then you think to yourself, if we don't take them, somebody else will. Somebody else could have been the Big 10. Somebody else could have been the Pac-12. Not to say that would make those leagues better than the SEC, but if somebody's got to take Texas and Oklahoma and you're the SEC and you got first crack, I think you got to take them. Now, that doesn't mean I, I think it's, you know, there was a whole lot of integrity or up front, uh, you know, transparency with Texas and Oklahoma with their Big 12 brethren. I think they backstabbed them. I think they undercut them. Uh, I think it's horrible. Uh, you know, th this Oklahoma AD, again, Joe Castiglione, you realize this is the same guy who was on the college football playoff committee. So when I challenged that he would maybe not be objective, oh, how dare you say that? This is a man of great integrity. He can take his hat off and do what's best for – wait a minute. You're talking about the same guy that pulled this sneaky deal to get out of the Big 12? That guy of integrity? 
That's the same guy we were trusting with the playoffs, huh? Okay. And if you think you, you think I'm the only one that feels this way, the Texas uh, AD was going to be on the college football playoff committee. You know what happened recently? The Big 12 pulled him off, said, nope, we don't want him on there. Oh, oh, okay. They don't want him on there. I got it. So that tells you what you're dealing with. Now, this is where I got a little worried. This is where I re- the wheels started spinning. This is where Josh Brooks is going to be tested. He's a brand new AD, just like Greg McGarity was when AM and Missouri came in the league and they asked Georgia to play back-to-back road games against Auburn. And Georgia said, okay, we'll do it. Took one for the team, right? I hope Georgia doesn't do that again. I really hope Georgia doesn't do that again. I understand you, you want to be a good league member. I understand Josh Brooks is new, but I just don't want to see him go along with, okay, we'll do that for the league, or okay, President Moorhead, we'll keep playing in Jacksonville. I want to see Josh Brooks because I know Josh Brooks is a guy. Remember, Josh Brooks is the guy that put everybody in the stadium to the extent that these other programs were saying, George is doing something wrong. They got too many guys in the state. No, they don't. No, they just have an athletic director who applied the Pythagorean theorem to wedge more people in Sanford Stadium than than anybody else could have possibly come up with. That's how smart Josh is. Josh is a guy that that goes through all the details. I've never, honestly, I've never seen more a more prepared uh, AD when it comes to Q and A's and things like that and thinking things through. I mean, this is a job that Josh Brooks has wanted. And now that he's sunk his teeth into it, you just get the feeling that he's not going to let go. You, you get the feeling that he has the same drive and passion as Kirby Smart. Now, is that enough to, to take on more head on the Jacksonville? Game? I don't know. I don't know the politics of that. It hasn't been decided as far as I know. We know what the head coach wants. We know what the president wants uh, or has indicated he wants. I, I, to me, I... I don't know where Josh goes with this, right? I mean, Moorhead is his boss. Uh, but you know what? Kirby is the guy that he works to empower. So, you know, hopefully Georgia figures that one out soon. But when it comes to dealing with league issues, I hope Josh goes in there and is a bit of a pain. I, I really do. You know, I, I don't think he he's not doesn't strike me as the guy that, that wants to always just make friends and go do the easy thing. I think he's going to fight for Georgia. I really think he's going to fight for Georgia. That said... I think the ship has sailed on Alabama and Auburn moving to the East Division. I, I wouldn't have not believed that on the front end. But when I listened to Commissioner Sankey speak last week and I listened to his talking points, one of his talking points was that they wanted to do something about how often teams see one another for other divisions. And we've heard Kirby talk about that. You know, we heard Kirby talk about that before the LSU game in Baton Rouge. I mean, that was a game Kirby was excited to play. I know how it turned out, but put that aside. You know, Kirby Smart wants fun football games. He wants his players to have experiences playing around the league. And the LSU game in Baton Rouge was a was was it was an experience. It wasn't a great game. I don't think they liked it when the power went out in their hotel. By the way, the power went out in another team's hotel last year. So I'm starting to think that's not so much of a coincidence. In fact, I didn't think it was a coincidence on game day when it happened to Georgia in 2018. Getting back to the discussion here. Sankey was talking about wanting these teams to play more often. Well, the answer is simple, and that is that you don't have an annual cross-division opponent, right? So Georgia's is Auburn's, and Alabama's is Tennessee, and Florida's LSU. Well, instead of playing that annual opponent, you play two different teams from the West 
every year and you play a nine game schedule. So you have two divisions of eight teams and you play your seven teams in your division and then two teams from the West. And every four years, you will play eight different teams. The kids will get to play every team from the West division over the course of their four years, right? And then you'll get to go to every stadium, what? I guess uh, I guess it'd be every 16 years, you'd make a complete cycle. Yeah, yeah, you'd make a complete cycle. So uh, when Sankey said that about wanting to see the teams more from the other division, here's where my mind went. You're not going to split up Alabama and Auburn. You're not going to split them up. You're not, if you're the SEC, you're not giving up the Alabama and Auburn game. That will be an annual game. That is the biggest game. It's the biggest rivalry, not the biggest game. It's the biggest rivalry in the SEC, Alabama-Auburn, not even close. End of discussion. It's bigger than Ohio State and Michigan. I've covered these rivalries. I've seen it. I know what they mean. Uh, Georgia's rivalry with Florida is pretty big, but it's not the Iron Bowl. It doesn't have the same, you know, uh, level of history to it. Part of that's because Steve Spurrier dominated the 90s, right? Kirby's changing that now. He's won three out of four against the Gators. But Iron Bowl is different, and they're not going to give that game up. That game will happen every single year. And the way to do that is to keep those teams in the same division. And that's the clue that they're getting moved to the East. If they maintain the divisional format, this whole pod thing, Man, this seems like something from outer space. I, I don't want I don't want pods. I don't want the SEC to turn into the NFL. I, I want college football to try to sort of be like college football. All right, the NIL, you're paying players, and now this Miami quarterback is getting a deal with the NHL team. Can somebody make sense of that for me? I mean, what honestly, what in the heck is that all about? I I don't even understand that. Are you trying to bring college football fans into hockey? You think that rewarding the Miami quarterback is going to turn college football fans into hockey fans? Is that how desperate you are? Because I don't see that. I don't see the return there. I, I don't get it. But but Miami's also got the gym that's paying all the players. Look, Miami is going to do what they got to do to get players. They are. You know what? Every school is. It, it This whole concept that NIL wasn't going to be used in recruiting – my goodness, that has got to be the dumbest concept ever. Of course, it's going to be used in recruiting. Nick Saban already made a mockery out of it at Media Day. I mean, think about how smart Nick Saban is. He's he's just, he's smarter than everybody. That's why he keeps winning. He he happens to do an interview the morning that he's going to speak in Birmingham. Now, first of all, why are you doing a radio interview if you're going to speak to the entire Southeastern Conference media in a ballroom an hour and a half later? Okay, so that's your first clue that that Nick is is up to something. He just happens to mention that his quarterback has a deal that's worth almost a million dollars. Just happens to mention. Just happens to mention. Happens to mention it, knowing fully well that by the time he arrives at the Winfrey Hotel, everybody's going to be talking about it. And they were. Everybody's taking the bait. Everybody's discussing it. And they ask Nick, and Nick goes. Well, you know, I don't really want to answer that because what I say now, you know, he's going to pretend like he really doesn't want to talk. He's already accomplished his mission. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. The message got out. If you go to Alabama, 
you can make a million dollars before you play a demo. That that was the message. And Nick didn't have to break any rules. He didn't even have to. He just happened to mention it casually on a simple little radio interview, knowing, knowing that the field would go ablaze, knowing that the media, the all the Alabama media there, they were on their hands and knees. They did everything but bow when he walked into the hotel. It's unbelievable. And, and, and Saban has a great presence. There's no doubt about it. How can you question a guy with that many championships? You have to respect Nick Saban. Here's the thing I don't understand. And I said this today. I was talking to an old coach that I stay in touch with. One of my old, one of my old Alabama coaching friends. I'll just say that's his name. One of my old Alabama coaching friends called me. And we were talking. And I said, you know, I said, that's that's why I really dig Spurrier. You know, I still talk with Spurrier. Now, you guys know that. I started the Spurrier Award. Uh, we had a press conference on uh, SEC Country page. Um, it's going to go to the best first-year coach of the year. So I, I like talking with Spurrier because I like asking questions. And I'll bring him on this show. Now, you guys got to behave. If I'm going to bring Spurrier on this show one night, I need all the Georgia fans to promise me that they're all going to be nice to Steve Spurrier, right? Yeah, that ain't going to happen. I'll just tell – I'm just not going to let him see where the comments are. But I'm going to bring Coach Spurrier on the show one of these nights. That is going to happen. Uh, but I like to talk with him now about things because he does think – because Spurrier is different. Spurrier's different. And I think I said this on Friday Night Mike, the old Friday Night Mike show. I'm not sure if I've said it on the show. The best career advice that I ever got was from Steve Spurrier in 1994. And I asked him what made him such a successful coach. And Spurrier said there were two ways to be successful. He said his daddy's a preacher. He said, my daddy's a preacher. And he told me there's two ways to be successful. You can do it like everybody else, work a little harder at it, work a little longer, or you can do things different. And I choose to do things different, he said. And my brain, I just went, that's it. Look to find a different approach. Look for the not so obvious, right? That's what a reporter should do anyway. I mean, that's I'm not, you know, that's no Einstein moment here. You know, you should always try to look for ways to, and Kirby is the guy that says, if, if it ain't broke, find a way to make it better. But when Spurrier told me that, everything made sense. The Spurrier that those SEC teams were playing, they didn't see anything like that. And he had talent, right? You put talent with a scheme that's foreign, that you don't see week to week, they were hard to defend uh, because Spurrier and Spurrier could make those calls from the sideline. He could draw it up in the sand. He could look at your defense, see what you were doing and adjust. That's how smart Spurrier was. Is a couple years ago, he won that AAF league. His team was seven and one. They were two games better than everybody else. The guy can coach. I know you don't like him, but the guy can coach. And, and, and it's good that you don't like him, right? If he was your coach, you'd love him, right? The biggest compliment is when everybody else hates your coach. Like right now, I saw that poll of Tennessee fans. They hate Kirby Smart more than any coach. What has Kirby ever done to them? Well, I mean, you know, obviously Kirby beats them. I guess that's it. But my goodness, I mean, the way Tennessee fans talk about Kirby Smart, it's like, wait a minute. You you you, you beat him once. You got him with Butch Jones. And he fired Butch. You know, it, it's going to be a while before you get him again. But, uh, but Spurrier, so getting back to Saban. His assistant coaches are 0-23 against him. Now, Saban will be the first to tell you that a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's had more talent than most of the teams that he's played. Hasn't always been the case with Georgia. Georgia's led at halftime 
of all three games. Do you know Spurrier was three and one against Nick Saban? Three and one against Nick Saban. Why was that? Because Spurrier was different, right? And I think with Todd Munkin, now that he has a quarterback that's capable of getting the ball down the field, I think George is different. I think Georgia is going to be different this year. I think Georgia is going to present some matchups that teams don't see anywhere else. Just like I said, start with those tight ends. Start with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. You're not going to see many tight ends like that in, in college football, period. Those are special guys, okay? Then look in your backfield. You got a receiver like Cook. You got a moose like Milton. You know, Kenny with the cutbacks. I mean, Zamir, you know, Chug, Chug, blue-collar runner. I mean, and Dejan, you talked to Dejan Edwards. Like I said, I'll tell you guys again. If you didn't watch the KM Squared show last night with Kendall and Kenny, they, they break down every running back in the room. You're going to want to listen to it. They talk about Dejan in that. They talk about a Dejan Edwards. They're going to give you some insight. They also say, this was fun. I said, which Georgia assistant coach would win a cage match? They agreed. They said it was the same guy. It will blow your mind who they said would win a cage match. I also asked them which Georgia coach would be most likely to go on Dancing with the Stars. And they agreed on that one, too. And and that was pretty fascinating. And you've probably seen enough locker room videos to, to hazard a pretty good guess. Uh, winding down here, I want to take your questions. I've uh, had some fun thoughts and comments. I am going to take a sip of the green tea. And actually, tonight it's not green tea. It's not green tea because green tea has caffeine. It's peppermint tea because I don't want I don't want the caffeine tonight. So let's take a look at your comments. Uh, what do we got here? Jermaine King likes the KM Squared show. Listen, I got to tell you about this last week's show too. So Kirby, these guys are working hard. I, again, I just don't think fans know how hard these guys work. These guys didn't tape the show until after 10 o'clock at night. They were gassed. They'd been up since 6 a.m. This is some of that NIL stuff, right? One of these NIL lit lessons. And, and at Dog Nation, we had worked around, you know, when did they want to do it? They weren't able to do it Wednesday because things went long. So the kids wanted to do it Thursday. I got to tell you, Kenny and Kendall, working with these guys, uh, there's such quality people. It makes you understand the kind of guys that Kirby's recruiting when you watch and listen to, to Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh. Uh, the, these kids, would they, they, they make you proud. You're just like, man, you are so responsible. You know, they're like, yeah, we'll let you know, Mike, as soon as we get out. It's after 10, you know, me and Connor Riley, we're waiting to do the show. These kids, you can tell they're exhausted, man, but they're missions, they're mission oriented. They're going to get it done. We taped that show at 10 o'clock at night and, and those kids came through like a champ. I could not believe the energy they brought and the answers they brought. And it just goes to show the caliber of players and people that Kirby Smart is bringing. It would have been easy for them to just blow it up. Ah, we're not going to do it. We're too busy. That's not how Georgia rolls. That's not how the Georgia guys roll. When Kirby talks about the growth and maturity, that's that's not just smoke, man. He's not just giving you words. When these guys say they're going to be somewhere and say they're going to do something, they do it. That's a testament to the program, to their coaching, to their parents. You know, you guys saw, I hope you saw 
the episode with Chris Milton and Richard McIntosh, you know, you want to talk about two super dads, um, you know, and, and, and guys that I've just got so much respect for. They'll be there for their kids thick and thin. But by gosh, they made sure they raised kids that are going to be accountable and respectful. Again, I can't tell you how impressed I have been doing that show with Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton. And yet, I will tell you, those were the two first guys I wanted to do the show. Those were the two guys that I wanted Dog Nation to partner with because I got that impression of those guys of how squared off, how squared away they are. And I also think that they're, I think they're incredible talents. Uh, let's see here. Mike, how much does the ESPN TV contract affect recruiting? That's a good question. So in a roundabout way, money changes everything. Wasn't it, was it Cindy Lauper that's saying that? I don't know. That's like 1980s. I'm having flashbacks here. Um, money changes everything. Money, you know, I want you to think about this, too. I want to go on a little tangent here. People said, oh, you're doing a show with two players and then they're getting paid. Interviews have always been paid for. Every interview you see on ESPN is paid for. It is part of the television rights contract. ESPN pays millions of dollars to have the rights to ESPN. And they go in there on Thursday and they get to pull kids out of whatever they want and do special interviews and show it to you on game day. That is part of the rights fee. That interview is paid for. The only difference is... We pay the players direct. It doesn't go to school, right? Think about the, the WSB2 does a tremendous tailgate show. Zach Klein's involved with it. Uh, they do a great tailgate show through IMG, the licensing company that works with George. They pay a fee to do that show, to be the Georgia network. The interviews are paid for, okay? They've always been paid for. It's just the school has gotten the money and not the players. It's like the jersey sales. Right before, when you bought a Georgia jersey, the kids didn't get them. Now the kids get the money. So that's one thing NIL changes. And, and, and by the way, it's not like Kenny and Kendall are getting rich off this deal. Hopefully, what this is for them is experience because they are going to have opportunities in the future uh, to do more spokesperson work for brands, and they're going to have some experience now. And and I think it's kind of been a lot of fun. And um, so far, so good. I know two episodes left uh, Sunday night at eight o'clock right here. If you haven't already seen it. And then the last episode will be live. We will take your questions. Back to your questions on this show. Uh, what do we got, guys? Y'all want to know where Mike's fire comes from? That's the U.S. Army Airborne training. Ha, Matt, some of it is. Uh, some of it is. Uh, one of the things I learned in the military was about motivation. Motivation is the key, right? You know, my buddy Cole Kubelik uh, had one of his Instagram posts. I like those motivational sayings on Instagram. I don't post them myself, but I read other people's. And he said, uh, you know, do I struggle? You bet, but I don't quit. And that's kind of how I feel. You know, have things been tough? Was COVID tough? Was Is it tough not going to games, being isolated? You bet it is. Is it hard being a reporter and, and not having any, you know, access to practices? And uh, is that tough? You bet. It's really hard. But um, you got to stay motivated and, and you got to continue to work towards your goals. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but I, I think it's important sometimes to step back and realize that everybody, everybody has a struggle. Even though the people, the people that you wouldn't think have a struggle, they have a struggle, right? I, you know, I thought like, that's why when JT came out and said how hard it was for him 
when he wasn't playing to the point where he, he talked to the sports psychologist. Listen, JT had a struggle. You don't think about JT Daniels as a guy that struggled in anything. You know, Mr. Freshman of the Year, Mr. Sophomore of the National Player of the Year as a freshman, National Player of the Year as a sophomore, National Player of the Year, National Champion as a junior, plays at USC in what's supposed to be his senior year. You don't think of a guy like that struggling, but it, he does. He did. He had. He went through it. Everybody goes through it. Um, no doubt about it. Um, so, yeah, it's just a matter of maintaining your, your desire and, and, and how bad do you want it, right? As I always say, is the juice worth the squeeze? Uh, why are Georgia fans sleeping on Zamir this year? Like, why? I don't think they're sleeping on Zamir. I think, I think there's just a recognition that a lot of other backs have talent. You know, Zamir White was the only guy that really stayed healthy all year last year. And there's a lot to be said for that. You know, but there were flashes from of brilliance from Kendall and Kenny and James and Dejan even. And it's not just Zamir. It's it's five really good running backs. So, you know, I don't think that people are sleeping on Zamir. I, I think he's a I think he's a good back. Personally, I don't think he's a great back. I think he's a good back. I don't think that he's going to be a starter in the NFL. I think he's a lot like Elijah Holyfield. I think he's a tremendous character person. I think he's an unbelievably hard worker. I know that he's universally respected. I know that he'll do whatever his coach and his team asks. That's th this is not lips. This is not just lip service. Okay, this guy checks all those boxes. He's that dude. Okay, and he'll probably make an NFL roster because of it. Because he's that guy. You want Zamir White to make it. There's not one person that doesn't want to see Zamir have great success because he's worked so hard to overcome so much. And, and he's going to keep going for it. He's going to stay motivated. Nobody's going to outwork Samir. But does he have the vision to be an NFL back? Does he have the power of Kendall Milton? Does he have the pass catching of James Cook? Does he have the cutback ability of Kenny, you know, McIntosh? You know, what does he do great? You know, and, and maybe this is the year. Now, maybe this is the year. It's two years removed for Zamir. Maybe we're going to see some things from Zamir that we haven't seen before. And, and we'll wait and see. We'll just wait and see. But I can tell you that so far, Kendall Milton has been the best player in the offseason at running back in the spring and in the fall so far from everything I've heard, from everything I've heard. That doesn't mean it's going to be like that on game Saturdays. We'll wait and see. A lot of competition back there. This ain't Del McGee's first rodeo. This ain't Dell's first rodeo. So let's let it work itself out. But when we talk about the other backs, don't take that as an insult to Zamir because it's not. Zamir is Zamir. Everybody knows who Zeus is. Everybody knows who Zeus is. Uh, had a really nice run on Florida. Uh, Florida was, uh, you know, out leveraged. I had a nice alley. And, and as, uh, as Mike was saying, he was able to run away. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to see what happens at the running back position. Um, you think Zamir is much better than Holyfield? I don't know. I, I thought Holyfield was a very good back. I thought he caught the ball better than Zamir. thought he ran with power, um, versatile. Um, I think they're quite similar, actually. I know this. When they ran the 40 this year at Georgia, James Cook was the fastest at 4.52. So that kind of tells you there's nobody that's a 4-3 a or a low 4-4 four, four guy. Remember, Swift was only in the high 4-4s four, um, as fast as he looked. 
Um, but but Swift had that cutback, right? That vision, right? That's something that you see it and you break it, and 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 some guys have it, and and some guys don't. Um, so you know we can we can talk about. We'll have an opportunity. I think all the backs are going to be successful this year because I think George is going to be able to throw the ball, and I think that um, I think that's going to lead to fewer guys in the box or maybe some more guys blitzing, and George is going to be able to exploit that. So I think you're going to see some big runs from all the backs this year. I think you're going to see a, a considerable step up in the average yards per carry in the Georgia run game. But it's not going to be because they're going downhill and dictating it like they were trying to do uh, when they had the great wall. I, I don't think that's how this offensive line is going to work. So uh, we talked a lot about running backs. Uh, someone asked the question. Uh, I gave you a great answer. Uh, I, I don't know who the number one back is going to be. Um, I, I think James Cook, again, is, is going to be big uh, in the opener because the game plan. I just I think Clemson's going to come after, and I think Cook is, is the best receiver out of the backfield. Um, that's my prediction. I could be completely wrong on that. Who knows? Amir might go for 200 yards. Uh, I don't think so, but you never know. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. JT Daniels over under 45 touchdowns. You know, I've said this before. It's not a JT Daniels question. It's it's a Kirby question, and it's also a defensive question, right? Because what Georgia does on offense is dictated by what the defense gives, okay? It, it, I can't say it any more simple than that. You know, when I covered – people always hate when I start a sentence like this. But when I covered Tennessee, 1998 Vols, Peyton Manning had just left, and T. Martin was the new quarterback. He was a junior but he'd only thrown like 17 career passes. In fact, I think halfway through the year, he was only completing about 50% of his passes, maybe even a little less. But they knew what they were going to do. Tennessee was going to line up, and they were going to run Travis Henry or Jamal Lewis off tackle, off tackle, off tackle, and you had to stop it. And when you finally stopped it, T. Martin was going to pull the ball out, and he was going to bootleg. He's either going to keep it or he's going to throw it to his tight end. That's dictating what the defense is doing. That Tennessee team was loaded. They had powerful offensive linemen that played in the NFL. They had talented running backs that went for thousands of yards in the NFL. And they had dynamic receivers that could go downfield and beat you deep. They had all, and they had NFL tight end. They had all the weapons to dictate. Okay. That's not how college football works by and large now. Now it's a read game, whether we're talking about the RPO, right? The read on the run, whether the quarterback, you know, whether he run pass options or, we're talking about JT Daniels going to the line of scrimmage and reading the defense and saying, okay, this is what they're giving me or doing the adjustment to move that receiver in three more yards or to pick up that blitz or to audible to that run or check down to this pass. He's going to identify what you're doing and take. Now that's, that sounds, that sounds great. The trick is, can you get everybody on the offense on the same page so that when JT changes the play is everybody going to be cognizant enough to get it and, and adjust fast enough? Is that receiver going to make the same read on that cornerback that JT Daniels is? That's the trick. The trick is in the execution. The plan's great. The, the trick is in the execution. But that's what JT and Georgia wants to do this year. So when you ask me how many touchdown passes, if they're at the three-yard line and it's third and three, and JT realizes that there's not enough guys in the box, he's checked to a run, Right. Or if it's third and three at the three-yard line and they're packing the box with eight guys and JTC single coverage on Darnell Washington or Jermaine Burton, 
you know, he's going to take that matchup. It's going to be dictated by what the defense does. Um, that said, you play, I'm going to say Georgia's going to play minimum 14 games. Uh, that would mean an average of more than three touchdown passes per game. That's tough. That's really tough. That's about right. You know, uh, if they play a 15 game season, more than 50. Yeah. If they play 15 game season, I'd say more, uh, if they play 14 game season, I would take slightly under only because I think there'll be some games that JT comes out in the fourth quarter. Remember Jake Fromm? Jake Fromm could have had a Heisman Trophy year in 2018, but they took him out of the fourth quarter every game the first half of the year because they were so darn worried about giving somebody else reps, right? Um, I do think there's going to be some of that, not a lot of that. I think I think Kirby really wants to put some numbers up this year. I think Kirby, you know, now that he has the receivers, you know, Kirby's always been about doing what's best with the talent that he has. Now that he has the receivers – I think he's going to turn them loose. I really do. I think 45 is probably a good number. Uh, Washington and Gilbert in the, in the game at the same time, Gerald says, no doubt. Think about that. You know, you're on defense lining up, and all of a sudden Georgia, Georgia JG plays the change, you know, changes the play, and you bring Gilbert in along with a 190-pound DB. And here you got Washington, right? Said there at 275, 280. And you got Gilbert there, 240, 245, lined up against these guys, you know, 30 pounds lighter than them. I mean, think about the danger. Think about how dangerous George can be with those formations. Uh, I see someone saying Carson will play a lot because Georgia scores a lot early. You know, here's the thing about that. The thing to remember about JT Daniels is that he only played four games with his Georgia receivers last year, and a lot of his passes went to George Pickens. So he doesn't really have a lot of game reps with a lot of these guys. So on the one hand, you go, well, you want to get the second team quarterback ready. Well, hey, you better get the first team quarterback ready. You better get the first team quarterback some game reps. Now, you don't want to be stupid and, and, and have them running around on a bad ankle with a 35-7 lead. I still think Saban was dumb for hanging uh, Tua out there with a 35-7 lead in a bad ankle against Mississippi State. I mean, that was – I don't know how you defend that. I, again, he's a championship coach. That doesn't mean he bats 1,000. Sometimes smart people do dumb things. Um, that was dumb for him to get too hurt like that. Thirty-five uh, seven lead and a quarterback on a bad ankle. If if JT's healthy, uh, you know, I think you got to get him. I think you got to get him 35, 35 attempts in games. I really do. I think he's got to get the work in. I think these receivers have got to get the work in. Worry about the backup when you need to worry about the backup. Right now, you better worry about your starter because you're trying to win a national championship. Okay, you're not going to have JT another year. If he gets through this year healthy, he's gone. All right, he's not coming back. Um, you say it's too risky. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's too risky. Again, JT has gotten smarter than he was a year ago, and what I mean by that is he's up to speed now with uh, what these perimeter edge rushers in the SEC can do. He's not going to hold the ball too long. He knows better than that. He got roughed up. He got beat up. He got beat up against State. He got beat up against Missouri. He got beat up against Cincinnati. This offensive line, I mean, I don't know how they looked himself in the mirror after some of those games, but some of that was on him. Some of that was him not stepping up to the pocket. Some of that was him holding the ball too long. Some of that was him not checking down. You know, that was JT adjusting. And also, JT's knee is healthy. JT is considerably more mobile now than he was last year. So you're going to see some different things. I'm not saying he's never going to get hit. 
But I think you're going to see JT do a great job of getting rid of the ball uh, quicker and feeding those receivers. Which freshman will have the greatest impact on the team this year? Well, technically, you got three classes of freshmen, right? I think you mean which true freshman, which incoming freshman. Oh, man, that's tough. Um, I would say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Amaris Mims. I, I think Mims is eventually going to be a starter on the line. I'm hearing so many great things about this kid. He's only a freshman, and I know I talk about the acclimation period, but everything I'm hearing is that this guy's really special. Now, how quickly can he get out there? How quickly can he get reps? It is a process. I think you'll see him worked in uh, as the season goes on. Um, but I really like Amarius Smith. If there was one freshman I could buy stock in and, and say I'm going to get paid commiserate to what, what he gets paid when he gets drafted, uh, I, I'd want to be Amarius Smith's agent <laughs> because Amarius Mims uh, is the real deal, man. Amarius Mims is the real deal. Uh, listen, I, I appreciate doing the show. It seemed like old times tonight taking questions and sitting out on the porch. And I, I hope we're all in a better place. I know we're not completely cleared yet. I, I know that I saw where Old Miss is at 100% vaccination rate. Um, I saw that George is over 90, I believe. Um, I, I know this Delta variant is, is out there. I worry about that. I'm a dad. I've got a daughter who's type 1 diabetic, and, and she can't get vaccinated right now. Uh, and I'm very concerned about her. Um, so I worry about it just like you all do. And, um, you know, I hope everyone, you know, stays healthy, takes care of themselves, takes care of their families. Uh, you know, the great thing about SEC football to me, it's not just the best product in terms of college ball. I tell people this. And until their kid plays here or until they live here, or I, I spoke with my dad today, for example. Now, my parents are from Illinois. My dad went to a Big Ten school. He's a retired pharmacist. Uh, mom started watching the SEC just because I cover the SEC, right? Now dad's watch. He said to me today, Mike, we can't wait for the SEC to start. I can't, can't believe my dad's saying this. He's never liked He didn't care. He doesn't dislike. He never watched the SEC. They started. They're retired. They watched the SEC. They watched Dog Nation. They watched Paul Feinbaum. They enjoy the SEC. Why do they enjoy the SEC? Because it's a community. It's a community. And we all have these discussions. And we've all got our crazy uncle that says things on Twitter and Facebook that he should never say, that he would never say in person, by the way. And, you, and you, you've got these people that, that seem intent on, on doing everything they can to poke and rouse. And, and, and you just, ah, ah, enough. It's exhausting. But this is part of it. This is like that dog that won't stop barking in your neighborhood. Right? That's the SEC. You got the guy, you got the fireman, the policeman, you know, the milkman, you know, the, the, the kid riding the street with the bike. It's a community and everybody loves it and everybody's a part of it and they don't always get along, but they share the passion for the league. We're on a night like tonight, a Monday night, we can get together on Facebook or, or on uh, YouTube, or if you're watching the Dog Nation page, we can get together and just talk about different ideas and different thoughts and different predictions and have fun doing it all with that same anticipation right september 4th september 4th every day we're one day closer to september 4th right i cannot wait it's coming closer and closer and closer so uh listen have a great week remember tomorrow night connor does his show 
Wednesday night, Jeff does unbelievable show on recruiting. Uh, I think we're going to do a cover four on Thursday. Um, Brandon does a daily show. You guys know about Brandon Adams, your local Gator hater, the voice of the fan. Uh, so you can enjoy that. And we'll have all sorts of stories. And, and please, please, please do check out KM Squared. If you haven't watched the show with Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton, uh, it's a quick 20, 25-minute watch. But those kids have a lot of fun, and they give you a lot of opinions. I think you'll really enjoy it. So, everyone, have a great Monday night, and I will see you later this week.